what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. May 10th, 2019, episode 78. Wow. What? I said, wow. Wow. That's a lot. And another one. And another and one. And another one. And another one. What's going on, Scotty? Well, not much. I uh, I went all the way down to Laurel, Mississippi last weekend to help Bubba. We got everything set up. Did some practice jumps. Mother Nature said, not so fast. No yeah. jumps. So we have to go back down there and do that again sometime. But, man, it was, it was cool. Had fun hanging out with Bubba and the gang. And we'll do that again another time. But uh, that was my weekend. What was your weekend like? Nothing crazy on this end. Just bored as hell because I couldn't watch some flat tracking. But, uh, you know, that's going to be solved here soon because they're getting back to racing this weekend. So I'm stoked on that. Uh, not, yeah, nothing too much to report. I, I, I didn't get to see much of Willow because I guess there wasn't any streaming from Willow. But there was an event this weekend that I, I just didn't get to see it. I didn't get to see anything either. But I did, you know, I heard, I heard some highlights. I know Cody Cop swept the 250 class both days. He ran really strong in the 450 as well, and watch out for this kid. He is bad fast, and he's only 14 years old. Yeah, he's a. We just talked about him last week, right? He's the kid that just uh, has some. We saw some essence and leathers or something. We just talked about him. Yeah. Um, yep. He posted that on his Instagram, and uh, he's a cool kid to follow on social media. And but he wasn't the big story. I think the big story out of Willow was Jeffrey Carver riding the Ron Wood Rotax was just on fire. I know he won both main events, won the Dash for Cash on Saturday, and he's riding that, that Rotax, you know, single-cylinder motorcycle beating up on the twins. Give a wizard a Rotax and he can make magic, I'm telling you. that, that I, I don't even... Is there anybody better than Jeffrey Carver? Sorry, I'm a little partial. He's one of my favorites. I don't know. There's a lot of fast guys out there. And, there are. And I, I, wish, I wish they could bring back a class just for Rotaxes. I don't know how they could do it right now, but... You know, we got the AFT singles, we got the production twins, we got the AFT twins, but how about a, a super singles class like Steve Nace does? That'd, I mean, that'd does be it, fun. Does it warrant, I mean, it, it does warrant its own class, but what if there was just an event where everybody once a year showed up with their Rotax and raced? Um, that would mm. be pretty cool, too. Um, that would be awesome. That would be badass. I, I don't know. I, I definitely... I definitely love to watch Carver do well, and uh, he's been gaining momentum these last couple of races. What he got a fourth in, in Arizona there. Um, who knows? You know, two two wins. You know, winning, getting a couple wins under his belt in Willow. Maybe he comes. He runs well in Paris. It could be could be interesting this weekend. It, yeah, it could you know give him some momentum, give him some confidence back. Maybe he'll go faster at uh, Paris this weekend. But I heard the best battle there at Willow was between fourth and fifth. Dan Bromley. And Mikey Rush, both of them on their 450s, and they said they duked out past each other so many times. They said it was the best race that people have seen in a long, long time. Well, that's badass. Is it true that they're, what they're saying there, that that's like the, the last time they're running that event? I believe so. I heard, you know, Digger Helm passed away. He was the big reason they kept going back there. It's Eddie Mulder's race, but there was always big, big money up for grabs. And if it is the last race, that's terrible. And I, I know I speak for everyone else in flat track that loves flat track. When I say I hope they're wrong, it seems like that's something that that all the riders enjoy going to and enjoy riding as well. I never got to see it. I don't know if you ever got out there. Did you ever get out there? 
I never made to that one. It seemed like I always had to come back and go to work or whatever. I don't know. I just, I'm never, I was never invited to announce that one. I don't know who actually they use for announcers. I heard there's never a really big crowd, but it's more for the rider, riders and racers and the pits are always full. So Willis in the, in the rear view, we're looking ahead this weekend to Paris, Paris, California, going back to Cali. Going back to Cali. We didn't go there last year, so we're going returning back to a track we've raced at before, and I'm excited. We're going to have four classes, Carter, so let's talk about the singles first. Uh, Brandon Price, Colby Carlisle, Ben Lauer, some of the fast guys. The last time we were there, Ben Lauer actually led the first, first 11 laps before finishing second, but Price, we know he's moved up. Carlisle, he's out. We just saw a report. Ben Lau, I'm not sure if he's running the singles. I think he's focusing his effort on the production twins. So that's going to open up the door for some new winners in that AFT singles class. And boys, there are a couple uh, couple people that are going to try to jump all over that opportunity. I mean, we talk about it every week, and it seems like, you know, more the races that go by, it only gets even more competitive in that singles class. Like, who, who's Scotty Dubler's pick to run well? I mean, we've run in Paris before, so we know some Man. people are going to be fast. What, like, Cameron Smith ran well last time we were here, right? Yep, he, he did good. He got fourth or fifth or so. Yeah, he was fourth last time we were there. Shana was fifth. Shana's good on the on the clay tracks. She's really good. You know, she's won on clay tracks. But my my gut right now is Mikey Rush. Mikey Rush, huh? Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm going for it. You know, but you can't count out Dalton Gauthier. Yeah. Jesse Janish looking for an oval win. He's a, he's proved over and over he's a TT rider, but he's looking for an oval win. You, you know, know he wants I that mean, win too. I mean he he's got some momentum and he's I mean he's he's undefeated on the TTs this year and you know he's gonna do well when we go to, to Peoria and Buffalo Chips. So he does want that half mile, that oval not even just a half mile, he'll take any oval win at this point, I'm sure. Um and it's gonna happen this year. I'm guarantee I guarantee it's gonna happen for him this year. All right. Also we talked to Oliver Brindley last week. We checked checked in with him. This could be his first oval win. He's got a he's got a career podium. He's still looking for his first win in AFT singles. And he was eager. Yeah, he he mentioned last week he was pretty eager to get back to this one. Um, so look forward to seeing how all those uh how those all those riders there in the singles class go uh, this weekend. But that is what you said one of four. So what do we have three the production twins right? Like they're they're gonna be back this weekend, right? They're running all the half miles in the 2018 and uh, the 2019 season. Um, so this is round two for the production twins. And I think. I think right now the momentum and the confidence is with Corey Texter. That bike that he's riding for G&G Yamaha, J.D. Beach rode for them the last time we were here and got third, got a podium. So uh, maybe a little extra incentive. The team's from Southern California. Texter is going to be hard to beat. Uh, Reverend Ryan Barnes was second in Texas. He should run well there also. And then a a new press release came out earlier this week. The Rocket, James Rispoli, is signed to ride with uh, Black Hills Harley-Davidson on that XG750. That's crazy. Like, we talked to Terry Reimer like a month ago, and all these big things are happening on the the Black Hills Harley-Davidson side. Uh, I'd love to see this announcement. Love to see Rispoli jumping up to the production twins and and whipping it around some ovals here uh, in the 2019 season on on a production twin. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. You know, uh, Rispoli's been around the block a while. He's been gone road racing, so it's good to see him, you know, involved in flat track. He's he was, He announced he's riding the singles all year, but now he's getting a nod to ride a twin. So uh, my hat's off to Terry Reimer, reaching out to him, making that happen. And I mentioned a few moments ago that Colby Carlisle's out. I saw a press release just on Thursday or Wednesday of this week, and he's out. That might take him out of the championship hunt, Carter. That Well, that, that was going to be my question. Like, so... If I remember correctly, there was an event, one event, I think it was Lima, in his championship season that he didn't score any points. So is this, is I mean, it, it's still a possibility you can win the championship if he sits this out. Like, I mean, he proved it there. I mean, we don't have as many events yet, but like, 
I don't know. Do you, you, I, you think this takes them out, you're saying? I think it's 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 going to be really hard to come back from this one. I mean, there's only 11 rounds. When there's 18 rounds, you can make up points a little bit easier. And, you know, winning, you get a lot more points than second. You know, it's 25, then it drops down to 20 or 21, something like that. So if he goes on a win streak, he could possibly still win the championship. He's going to have to be real consistent when he comes back. And we don't know how many rounds he's going to miss either. He could miss more than one week. We know right now it's at least he's missing Paris. Not sure about Sacramento yet. One thing I've uh, I've learned in my short uh, experience with this sport, though, if a rider can ride, he's going to ride. So, I mean, I but, you know, I, I say at the same token, you want to see a rider take the time to get 100% and, and come back, come back strong. So uh, heal up fast, Colby, come back, and we, we love to see you on the track. But um, hope to see you back here. What's the next one, Sacramento? Hope to see you back Sacramento. in Sacramento because I know you love running that mile, Colby. That's what it is. He's yeah. just resting up, resting up for that mile. Maybe so. Also, running in Paris is the AFT Twins, and this is going to be a good one. You know, Meese led every lap last time we were there. Jeffrey Carver was second on XR750. JD Beach, who kind of stuffed Stevie Bonzi right there in that last lap in that last corner. Uh, wanted that podium really bad. He was done road racing. That's why the road racers let him come flat track. And so now, uh, and JD won. A road race last weekend in the premier class that was his first ever you know superbike win you know he's on the momentum train right now he can win again here in paris yeah he's a i mean if, if there's a bunch of chatter in the on the flat track world it seems like it's about jd beach these last couple of weeks right with him he deserves every second of it a lot of people skeptical whether and you know he's running the split season if he's gonna be you know be able to be successful in one or you know but he's out there being successful in both here in the last couple of weeks so cool to see awesome awesome to see uh him get that third place in, in the fashion that he did it last time we were here in Paris. I remember Bonzi was just coming back from being out, right? And and he put on a hell of a ride. Uh, he had a hell of a ride for that race at the end of the season there. And to see JD come back, he just wanted it. Uh, he wanted it. And he, he it was a, a cool run to see. So uh, look, to, look forward to seeing what he does this weekend, how he responds after these two wins, both on the road race and the flat track side, um, and see what Essence is bringing to the half mile. Absolutely. And also, we can't count out Briar Bauman. He's been on the pole for every main event, all four rounds. He's been on the pole for each main event. He's got a first, third, second, and second. So his worst finish is a third. So uh, Briar has got the momentum. He's focused more now this year than ever before. And I look for that to continue because he's originally from Southern California, from Salinas. I know he loved to win in his home state. It's Briar Bauman season, I'm telling you. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, he looks determined. You know, Jared should be worried. I'm worried for Jared. All right. Also, don't count out the 44. Brandon Robinson, he won the Atlanta short track. This track's a little bit bigger, but Robinson might be able to win his second race of the season. B-Rob. You can't count out B-Rob, man. He's right up in these. Every race, he's going to be up there in the conversation with these guys. Uh, and what he did in Texas, what, he get third in Texas? Third in Texas, eighth at Arizona. He's not even a TT rider, still managed an eighth. Eighth at Daytona, again, not a TT rider. Yeah. Two eighths at the TTs, a second, a first, and a third Yeah. at the two ovals. So Brandon's going to be up there. If you're coming to the Paris half mile this weekend in Southern California, you will not go home disappointed. There is a shit ton, shall I say, of racing. 
there's actually one more class racing with us in conjunction with the Grand National is the Super Hooligan class. And man, anybody can win in that series as well. We've talked to a few of them on here. And the biggest thing I like about the Super Hooligan interviews, Carter, is they're all having fun. Yes. They're all a really good story. And they do it because they love riding motorcycles. It's growing on me, I'm telling you. The more the the more people we talk to in this series, the more I, I'm growing to love it. It's it's everybody's got their own unique little style of of you know what they bring to the table in this hooligan series. Um, like you said, they all do it for fun, um, and they're super passionate. Not to say that the pro riders aren't doing having fun out there and they're passionate about it, but it's it's a different vibe for sure. Yeah, it's like you know the pro riders are really focused they don't seem to be cutting up and joking on race day they're so serious and i get it i mean they're risking their lives out there this is their living you know uh, a lot of them are trying to make a living racing motorcycles which i totally get and you got to be serious where the hooligan guys they all have real jobs or most of them have real jobs so they're just going out there to have a good time they're laid back they're loose they're relaxed they're joking with their buddies and then they go out there and have some fun and then they come back and talk about it for the rest of the night Definitely fun series to watch. I'm sure it's a fun series to be a part of. And it's actually uh, one of the people we're interviewing this weekend is uh, doing pretty well in this series this year. Like like undefeated well? Undefeated. Three rounds, three wins. Yeah, that's impressive. I don't know a ton about this guy. I'm looking forward to this one. I, I know he's a legend. I know you know he's a former champion. Anytime we get to talk to a former champion, you know that's, that's going to be quality content. Um, there's probably a million stories we won't hear during this interview but uh i know you're you're decent friends with them and so i'm sure you guys you guys have several of your own stories to to talk through so i'm I'm definitely looking forward to this conversation absolutely so this week we get to talk to one of my heroes on the racetrack and off smoking joe cop oh that's that that's when i'm supposed to dial him now yeah that was your your cue or your hint to dial them on your funky phone that you got with these weird oh, numbers. Oh, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Here we go. Dial, dial, dial. Dialing. You recording? Yes. Hello. Smoking Joe Cop. What's happening, Scotty Dubler? <laughs> Nothing, man. What have you been up to? I haven't seen you since Daytona and our uh, our post-race pit walk. Me and Carter went through the pits, and I talked to you after that race, and, and you actually won that one. So what have you been up to? Well, not training, obviously. My belly's getting bigger, but we've been uh, <laughs> working away up here at home and trying to get uh, things organized for my kids and all their sports and adventures in life. and. I'm kind of a family guy, so I, I like spending time at home nowadays. I kind of missed part of that in my earlier times, and been plugging away, I guess, waiting for waiting for summertime and bike time. Yeah. So, are you still living in the log cabin I stayed at quite a few years ago? Yeah, we're still here in Michael, Washington, same log cabin. Nice. That's cool. Loving, so, loving is that, life. Yeah. Let's dive in. Get to know Joe Cop. Is, is that where you're born? I'm pretty sure that I've heard that story before. Were you born right there in Micah? Yeah. I was born right here in Micah, about 50 feet away from where I live right now. And we have an old mobile home here and raised right here. My grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncles, everybody's within a you know, half a mile here myself. And hard to leave home, they say, right? And that was just a short 50 years and one day ago, right? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the scary part. Holy moly. That's why I always razz people when they said they were 50, and I'm like, man, you're halfway to dead. <laughs> I, I, I remember as a kid having 100 as a goal, you know, and then I'm like, holy moly, I'm halfway there. <laughs> Crazy. It sure is, man. So uh, how'd you get how'd you how'd you get involved in motorcycles? What was you know what was the the story behind that? Well, just born and raised out here in the country. My dad and uncle were both really good local motorcycle racers and many different disciplines: flat track, hill climb, cross countries, ice racing, snowmobiles, just anything with a motor. They owned a shop back in the day, and my mom always said they you know they raced everything. They, it was Makos and CZs and stuff back in the day, and Polaris snowbills. They raced everything pretty much that came in off the truck, I guess, as a new demo. And they kind of ran themselves out of business by <laughs> racing bikes that weren't paid for and stuff, I guess. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I just, dad and uncle were pretty heavy into it and just locally, you know. They, I mean, they did it while well, we all started to do it, you know. They, they loved to ride a motorcycle or loved to ride something with an engine on it and race it. And, I kind of got caught in that trap. My cousins and I lived about a half mile away from each other, and pretty much every day after school, we were riding dirt bikes because we loved it, not because we wanted to get better at it, you know? And at uh, the same time, I guess we were getting better at it. And next thing I know, it played into racing, and I got my first paycheck, I think, and uh, or sponsor, maybe it was. And I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of a neat way to go. <laughs> Just kind of kept plugging away and actually kind of went off road racing first. A lot of woods races, cross country races in the woods around here. And uh, so we did that for quite a few years. So I was kind of a late bloomer to the sport of flat track, I'd say. And which, which I think helped me though. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't chasing amateur national championships at 16 years old or 15 years old, whatever, you know, and possibly getting burned out. Like I see some kids kind of going too aggressive at it, you know. So I was pretty fortunate to go out it the way I did, I think. Okay. So how old were you when you first raced flat track? Well, you know, I did a couple events here and there, probably about 18 or 19, somewhere in there. And that was like on a KX500 with full suspension. I think we put a 19-inch or an 18-inch tire on the back. and I don't know what it had on the front, but it was it was a handful. I guess it, got, it taught me really good throttle control back in the days. and continued to race race that bike a lot out in the desert races that i was doing at the time i kind of i got hurt pretty bad out in the desert at heron hell national and stuff i was doing and got carted away a couple of times and it just kind of made me think like man i don't know if flat track's safer but i, I really enjoyed it a lot so i yeah got asked by a local guy if he if i wanted to race a real flat track bike once i hadn't really ever raced a framer and i was about yeah i'm 18 or 19 years old and this guy asked me if i wanted to ride a flat track frame and I think it was a CR250 two-stroke and I'm like yeah and I couldn't believe how the thing handled compared to my motocross KX500 I was like wow this thing actually wants to go around the corner that's kind right of on. how we got going there it seems like so where was your first flat track race at was it a track that we've heard of or something you know close to home or where was it at it was yeah I would say it was probably a state line which is Spokane right here it's a little short track we had Hutter Idaho and a couple little tracks about half hour from home back in the day that were flat track was pretty heavy back, you know, back in the eighties or so, not heavy, but it was definitely more popular around our area than it, than it is right now. So one of them events. Okay. 
We we talked earlier. We I've heard this story plenty of times before, but tell me tell me your favorite racing memory. I heard it had something to do with a a new rule that they had to come into effect. Just they might call it the Joe Cop rear weight rule, something like that. <laughs> yeah, we uh, probably about 2000. It was 2009 down Daytona, back when we had double header races down there, and two national days in a row at the old short track stadium there, and uh, went out there and we had played around with that a little bit during the winter. We put some water in the back of our wheel. My cousin, which was my mechanic at the time, we played around with it here in our local indoor race in the winter time and. It kept trying to hurt me because it really grabbed a lot of traction, but it was too much traction for the dirt that we had here. So it was always trying to stand me up and put me in the wall. And so we go to Daytona and we decide to give this water a shot. Well, it worked pretty good the first night at Daytona until I got a flat tire. And then like I had a, whatever, if there's 36, 36 spokes or something in my wheel, I had water coming out of the 36 holes, you know, once I got a flat and uh, somebody crashed behind me a ways not because of the water, but uh, uh, they just crashed. And uh, anyway, we had to pull in the impound, and all of a sudden, somebody looked, I think Robbie Pearson looked at my rear wheel, and there was like a little shower back there, you know, just <laughs> water going everywhere, and he points at me. <laughs> well, I remember that year, you couldn't work on your bike during Red Flag or nothing. So I was like, oh, man. So I, Rob, Mike McKinney said, man, go get back to the truck. So... We didn't even wait for the AMA to kick us off the track. We just uh, fired it up and rode back, and there's an all-asphalt pit area. And I remember cruising down the little staging lane there, and it's all asphalt. And Kenny Tolbert's walking the other way, and he's looking at me, pointing. Like, I'm leaving a pretty good water trail, you know? He's like, what the heck's <laughs> going on here? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, anyway, we ended up uh, getting the flat that night, and we had to use a provisional start, blah, blah, blah. And then over the night, they relight they decided to make a rule hey no water allowed in the tire tomorrow and i mean it's not that big of a deal but when you feel like you have a 110 percent advantage over somebody at that level of competition you know and it's not something i realized uh, you know just that day that i had a little bit of an advantage on something and i knew it was a legal thing i was doing it but it was an advantage i wasn't going to tell somebody about right right so when they found out about it and then they made it illegal it was kind of like a it was a pretty hard blow to try to soak up as a racer and realize that I still had a had to figure out a way how to win the next day, you know, or, or at least have a good result. Right. So I was in a big hole mentally more than anything that day. And uh, remember I went out there the next day and writers me and they kind of made a joke. Okay, no water allowed in the rail. Stevie, I can't remember, Stevie from Michigan there. Uh, I can't remember, but anyway, he showed up at the rise man with a little goldfish in a little gunny sack bag, right, or in a little Ziploc bag. And he goes, "Hey, let's get one to go for riding your tire today." Like, yeah, you know, whatever. I smart you SOBs, and and now you're trying to make fun of it, right? You know, I was like, I was just fired up at the moment, you know. Right. I was like, aha. And uh, anyway, I got there in qualifying, and I kind of struggle and. And I think I was about 20th or so in qualifying, where the day before I was like 1-1-1, one, 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 you know, just kicking their rears. And uh, so anyway, we're going out there, and I did decent in the heat, and I made it to the dash. I think I crashed in the dash from a little wet spot in the track, and main event, I nailed the whole shot. And, and I ended up winning my very first short track national ever. And uh, it, was, it was just, it was a big mental accomplishment for me. And, 
just kind of like in your face, you know. I mean, go ahead, turn my bike apart, see what you want. This is, I, mean, I had to try harder that night, not physically, but just mentally more than any ever race I've ever done, you know, just to dig myself out of a hole. And uh, I've had to do it at local races here and there, dig yourself out of a hole. But when you're at that level and with those guys, there's just, man, it's, it's pretty intense, you know. Yeah, so that was, yeah. that was probably one of my favorite racing memories, and it kind of had something to do with this new heavy rear wheel rule that you see a lot of guys running heavy rear wheels and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of rewrote the rule a couple times that year because they took away water, and then I showed up at where Columbus, Ohio, I had a solid wheel made that was pretty much the same weight as my water. And then I, end, I it was Columbus Mile that year, and I ended up winning that one by like 23 seconds over second place, which usually miles are dang near a photo finish or something, you know? Yep. So that kind of, that kind of raised their eyebrows a little bit. Like, okay, something's not right here. Cause the next week was Indy. I remember MotoGP weekend at Indy mile and blah, blah, blah. So they're like, Oh, I remember Al, our tech guy at the time. You can't do that in front of the world at MotoGP. You can't, we need to take that wheel. I'm like, Hey, once again, I didn't break no rules. Right. <laughs> You're not taking my wheel. <laughs> But uh, they wrote it where it's got to be 40 pounds or less all of a sudden, you know. So they had to keep rewriting the rules because they were leaving too much gray in there, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so, now I see a lot of guys are running heavy wheels. So, <laughs> so it's all, be, all because of Joe Cobb, the Joe Cobb rule, in effect. A couple hillbillies and Mike are figuring out what to do in the middle of the winter, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I just remember that race because I, I, I didn't make the main, but I remember the red flag came out. We all run to the, the hot box. I can't remember who I was helping. I don't know if it was Willie McCoy or somebody. but uh, And we looked up, and the sprinkler was going off, and it was your rear, rear wheel. Next thing I know, you fired up the bike, and you went down the down the pit lane. And I was like, oh, man. And we just kept doing what we were doing. Then after the races, nobody could find your bike. I don't know if you guys threw it in the trailer yeah. or the hauler or what, but nobody could find it. <laughs> yeah. It was in a – so we had a U-Haul truck because one of my sponsors had a road race team, so he just took my bike down there and dropped it off for us in Florida that year. And uh, so we ran in the U-Haul truck for the all-week of racing. And uh, so, yeah, the ramp was still in the back of the U-Haul truck. I remember when I come running around the corner on my bike, Rode it right up the ramp, shut the door right behind me, you know. It yep. wasn't like five minutes later, Moorhead's over there. Joe, are you in there? Knock, 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 you know. <laughs> and he's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to explain to him, like, oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of pixel flat, you know. And yeah. He's like, after about five minutes, well, how much pixel flat you got in there? I'm like, oh, here's the deal. This is what it is. It gets water, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But uh, we outsmarted them, and I didn't do nothing illegal, so. So anyway, it was quite the ordeal. Good fun. That's right. If it wasn't in the rule book, it is now. So uh, let's talk about your flat yeah. track career. It's been pretty impressive, and it still goes on. You're actually running some super hooligan stuff that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But uh, for people that don't know who Smoke and Joe Cop is, because you're only 50 years old, uh, you had national number from 1993 to 2017. You won 21 Grand Nationals. Your first national was in 1997 at the Peoria TT. Walk us through that day. What's it like winning at Peoria? Oh, it was like you always say, you know, it's just some something that you dream about your whole life. And uh, I wouldn't say I dreamt about my whole life, but yeah, just winning at a level like that was, you know, something I was always chasing, whether it was on my dirt bike or a flat track bike, whatever. And uh, the year before, I had quite a bit of success there at Peoria, and I was kind of in a position to win it. And I had crashed my bike in the main event while running second behind Andy, the late Andy Tresser, and uh, ended up going into Creek, blah, blah, blah. And, Ended up coming back to a good 
podium finish that day, but uh, so then I had to wait a whole year. Not that I was necessarily waiting a year to try to win one again, but that was just kind of the track back then that suited my young riding style, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, when we came back there the next year, I heard Kenny Tolbert's doing, you know, the road taxes that Chris Carr had won so many times at Peoria on. And uh, so I knew I had good horses under me once again. And, and then make it, you know, put it all together that day and make it happen. And uh, had Scotty Parker on my heels for 25 of the 25 laps and uh, held up to his pressure and uh, just got that win. It was pretty crazy. I had my, my wife was there, my sister, her brother, or her husband, uh, my aunt, uncles, you know, just a bunch of family, which is a long ways away from Michael Washington. So it was really special to have them all there and make it happen, you know, for my first win. Last win at the Grand National level coming in uh, 2010 at Hagerstown. You're the 2000 Grand National champion. Uh, I mean, did you complete everything you want to as a professional flat tracker? You know, I really did, honestly. I mean, that's why I was okay, you know, retiring at the, 20, at the, year, the end of the year 2010. Uh, I was totally okay with that because uh, everybody's like, oh, if you would have won, you would have kept going. I'm like, no, that would have been all that easier, all that much easier, you know, to retire. But honestly, I had... Yeah, I wouldn't say I was selfish, but I just, as a racer, you've got to put, you know, heart and soul into everything you do, whether it's training and getting ready or whatever at that level. And uh, I had a wife and I had kids and I was just, I was happy with what I did. I wanted to kind of not necessarily move on, but just continue in a, in a way that I wasn't putting my butt on the line for a paycheck. You know, I knew there was going to be ways out there for me to, uh, you know, make a living as, still be involved in the motorcycle world, but uh, maybe not race around the track day in and day out, you know? So, yeah, I would say I was very happy with what I accomplished, you know, over the years, especially on a bike. Absolutely. You completed the Grand Slam. Not many riders done that. You 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 won three miles, 16 half miles, one TT and one short track. We've talked about the TT and the short track. You said you spanked everybody on the mile, but how did you win so many half miles? I mean, 16 of them. What, what was your secret to the success on a half mile? Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't like uh, a cushion specialist or a play track specialist. I went, I mean, I think I won three times at Hagerstown, which is a slick play track, and I won a couple times at Lima and three times at Greenville, so cushion track, so night and day difference. It's just, I think half miles require a lot more finesse uh, as a rider, and, uh, you know, you just have to be smarter out there on the track and be a little more, uh, have racecraft, I guess you would say. And uh, I think all that stuff with, with, at the same time, I had great bikes underneath me, but uh, the half miles were just something that really suited my style, whether it was a rough cushion or a really slick uh, clay groove. It was just kind of my style of riding that suited what I was doing. So, yeah, I was, I always look forward to the half miles, and I still do, you know. Here we got one coming up Saturday night. Yeehaw! Uh that's right. We're going to talk about the Super Hooligans in just a little bit. But uh, so since you retired from full-time racing, you'd still, you know, show up still, you know, carrying the big number three. You'd show up and do really well. Like I remember several times, you know, oh, Joe Cop's here. And, you know, people people take note that you're there. People know that you're going to be in the main event and you're always a threat. So how did how were you picking and choosing which races you were racing after you retired full-time? Yeah, it was hard. You know, I'd show up like a I remember the first couple of years I'd show up at Castle Rock when it was still a TTR short track, you know, in like 011, 012. 
and then I, you know, worked that deal with, uh, with Indiana at Santa Rosa and just a couple things like that. And it was, I mean, I didn't, I didn't agree to doing these events the week before I was still a racer mentally, like a hundred, 10% focused on, Hey, if I'm, if I got a job to do, this is how I'm doing it. I'm not just going to get ready Friday for the race on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, like Vegas short track and 15. I mean, I, I was the quiet get ready guy behind the scenes because, uh, I knew how I used to train and it would get me there to where I wanted to be usually in a result. But, uh, so I put that much more effort into it, you know, in the later years when I did these one-off events, cause it's, it's pretty hard to go out there and race with Jared or Kubeth or somebody like that that's been doing this week in and week out, and you take you know 52 weeks off since the last race. It's like at that level of racing, so it's pretty hard. And I realized that, luckily, and I just uh, really got myself ready by riding a bike, riding a bike mentally, getting myself ready, and uh, it made it fun. It made it all that more challenging to see what I could do at a little event or a little one-off event. You know, even though it was a huge event, it was to me it was like this is a one more Hail Mary. Let's go throw it at the boys and see what goes on. Right on. Well, I've been, you know, I've looked up to you for a long time and you ran the 43, you know, before you became the grand national champion to run the 43. And when you got that championship, I called you that year because that's the same year I got uh, my national number. And I asked you if it was okay if I ran the number 43 and that was a respect deal. I just, you know, I didn't want to run the number 43 if you didn't agree with that or didn't like that. And, uh, you know, my grandfather was 43 J and, and man, it just worked out perfect. No, I totally remember that phone call, Scotty, and uh, thank you very much for that. And there's nobody at that time I could have wished to carry that number on more than you. And so it was neat to see you have it for quite a few years. And uh, it's a neat number. It's kind of a number, you know, I never had no special place for that. That number just kind of came about. I remember when I first got my national number awarded to me, I qualified for a short track in Sturgis, South Dakota, I think was my first. 600 main event I made or whatever it was back then and uh, they said here you know oh you made a main or something you get whether you get last or whatever you got a point so you get a national number next year well McDaniel I think the kid's name was McDaniel out of California right for me and that was the number that was available really so there was really no special spot in my heart for that before that before that moment happened but uh, when I got was told that 43 was the one I might get then I was like hey that's there you go, Richard Petty, all the way. There you go. That worked out. And then some <laughs> other guy, some other guy from Washington, had it after I had it, and you know, Sammy Halbert had it for a little while. I know that's kind of ironic, and it? it was crazy because <laughs> Sammy he's very much younger than I, and uh, he. Uh, I remember he kind of looked up to me when he was younger, and I was pretty heavy in racing and I'm, I used to give him boots and a hot shoe and stuff like that over the years I had a little bit and kind of offered him advice you know and then he grew up to be this little rat racer like that would kept banging me off the groove here and there I'm like whoa where'd all this come from you know and next thing I know he gets national number 43 you know like a year later and he does that you know because because him and I were still pretty good friends but at the same time he's getting kind of physical with his friend on the track and i'm like wow <laughs> but <laughs> hey we're good friends now i mean like i told sammy last year we worked together on the harley deal and like dude in 20 years every one of us is going to be at the springfield 
TT telling war stories and we're the best of buddies. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's you or whoever on the track. We're all competitors and at each other's throats right now. But life is pretty short, so uh, we're all the same. You know, we all like to go fast around circles. So let's be friends and forget about the past. And so it's been pretty fun since then. You know, I think it's easier for myself to realize that versus maybe Sammy not seeing that as easy just because he's still currently in the serious end of the racing you know yeah he's he's boots deep right now so he won't forget that but yeah. later on he'll, he'll he'll realize it later on I, I agree with you so i have in my notes that oh, yeah. in 2003 you had a chance to win the ama supermoto championship by being one of 74 <clears throat> riders who qualified for a winner take all final and i don't i just don't remember you doing that so uh tell me about that deal yeah so <clears throat> i've always been a guy that liked to i wouldn't say i like to prove people wrong that say this can't be done I, I would say it's more of a a fact of hey i'd like to do something that hasn't been done more you know is kind of the reasoning so I, i've been a guy that's kind of ridden and raced a lot of first-time bikes and had some success on some first-time bikes over the years and in different series too and in uh supermoto racing was fun for me because it was a uh, new sport coming out that you know it wasn't a new sport but it was restarting again so it was a new sport and everybody was kind of fresh at it and here i am a, an off-road racer that turned flat track i'm like wow this is kind of my style you know I'll throw a couple obstacles in there with a flat track corner or something i'm like wow this is kind of me so that was really fun for me to get involved with just like uh enduro cross you know 10 years later down the road was something kind of in my background and uh it was just like i guess as a flat track professional and a lot of people think hey this guy doesn't know how to go over a log or or go <laughs> over a supermoto jump or whatever it might be you know but at the same time there's a lot of crazy things around michael washington over the years so on bikes that weren't meant to do it so it was it was all stuff like that that really fires me up to to go compete with these guys because uh if you can't if, if if a lot of people haven't done it then there's there's a reason there's usually a reason why because it's hard and i'm like okay i'm ready for that challenge let's give her a shot right yeah dude i love that it and in 2011 you complete you know competed in the pikes peak hill climb you're the second fastest yeah, of the mountain thing. if i'm not mistaken it was davy Durrell that beat you and you won the exhibition class so why in the world would you want to try to see how fast you can go up pikes peak Another thing in the books. I mean, it was just like, gosh, not many, not necessarily flat trackers, but not many people I knew really had tackled that other than Davey and a few few people like that. And it just, I don't know, it threw a lot of variables at you, you know. I mean, sure, you got the cliffs that you can fly off of and die on accident and blah, blah, blah. But it was just, there was lots of extreme parts to that challenge, the elevation the unknown of 156 corners and you know just under eight miles and stuff like that and it was i don't know it just fired me up and I was like, why not give me a hot rod I, I guess the first year or two we did it on kind of a slower bike and i think the first year we did and uh on a mule and it was kind of not running that great and i was like well this ain't very scary well next year all of a sudden tramp put together a deal with tramp then they threw a speed tripler whatever it was under me and holy moly all of a sudden we went from like 
going 60 miles an hour down this one straightaway to about a, a buck 10 or something like that. I was like, oh, all of a sudden these cliffs are getting way scarier now. And I was like, okay. And then I realized, okay, this is why I'm here because the unknown and the scariness of everything, you know, it suited my style. But yeah, Pike's Peak is something. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind doing that again someday. It's just fun stuff like that. Man, that's crazy. I, I've never been out there to check it out. It's it's definitely on my bucket list. Let's talk about Super Hooligans. When did you first race in the Super Hooligan series? Uh, probably about the first year. I think Roland Sands asked me. You know, I think they were having some uh, they were having some races. I think down Austin, Texas, might have been. Gosh, I'm trying to remember back there a few years ago. And you know, they were trying to bring in some bigger names here and there. You know couple here at this race and a couple at the next one and he asked me to go down and do austin i think on the indians and and i was yeah i was like sure super super happy to go down and give that a shot and get out of the house for a couple of days and go ride a motorcycle again and uh it's just it's a it's a fun series i i kind of related it to enduro cross and and uh supermoto because it was it's it's the same thing. It's like we're trying to do well. Hooligans even worse. We're we're trying to race around a circle on bikes that are not made to race around the circle. And uh, but at the same time, people weren't on bikes when we started Super Hooligan. We were we were on bikes early that really were not made to go around circles fast. And nowadays, you watch a Super Hooligan. I mean, these guys are they're showing up with race bikes now. It's almost like the old eighty three dirt track series you know and uh the guys are putting suspension on front and rear and man it's it's getting pretty serious i'm still trying to have fun with my triumph street twin which is pretty stock other than you know some fork kit on the front and some shocks on the back but it's getting harder to run with these guys because they're showing up with race bikes so much you know so we're gonna throw a little curveball at them this weekend with the hooligan series and show up with maybe a little bit more of a race bike at Paris. All right. Okay. I'm liking what you're throwing top out secret, there. Top secret. Top secret top stuff. Secret. You're not even going to tell us right here. You, uh, you were second in the points in 2017, eighth in 2018. Right now, you're undefeated here in 2019, three races in, three wins. So, you know, why why, why so much success so early on this year? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm having fun with it. You know, the I guess the uh, previous few years in Hooligan, I didn't really put a a full-fledged effort at it and uh you know i skipped a couple races here and there throughout the series each year and this year you know the first one went off good he got a win so it kind of fired me up you know a little bit like hey let's, might as well go to the next one see if we can't rattle one off and so we rattled off a few wins in a row and and uh yeah it's just kind of having fun with it and i mean i always I tell the people at the races, and I don't think a lot of them believe me, but uh, I don't stick out as the truth. It's like, I can go hooligan racing, and it reminds me of why I started racing a bike. And it was because I love to ride a motorcycle. Sure, you want a paycheck at the end of the day. That's nice. But honestly, not that I'm retired from dirt track racing. I quit dirt track racing. There's a difference between because if I retired, <laughs> means I wouldn't need a paycheck, right? But uh, so I quit dirt track racing back in 2010, and I still enjoy doing it a lot. And uh, so this hooligan race, you sure it's pay, it pays the bills a little bit, but at the same time, more than anything, it just it keeps me on two wheels, pushing a bike to its limits, and that's 
that's what Joe Cop loves to do. And uh, I don't care if it's on a dirt track, on a mountain trail or something. Uh, that's that's what I like to do. And the Hooligan Series, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good people involved. Roland Sands has done a heck of a job with this series, you know, making it fun. And I think I think you see that at the races because we definitely got a little bit different of a crowd base than the normal flat track races and uh, these people are there to have fun and the racers are too and so it's pretty it's pretty fun stuff i'm gonna you know do a fair amount of them this year still there's a couple i have to miss just because of prior commitments with family and stuff but uh yeah we're we're gonna try to chase down that championship this year and see if we can't make it happen my my sponsor latest motors one of my main sponsors he happens to be a triumph and a harley davidson dealer so I didn't mean to spoil the secrets, but it might be mm. part of that this Saturday. All right. We'll have to wait and see. I, I you know, that's tomorrow. It's going to be on your 50th birthday and it's going to be exciting. So going into Paris undefeated, are you worried about your perfect win streak coming to an end? I mean, you got a new secret weapon. No, not really. Like I told Jared down at Willow Springs last week, and I said, all I'm worried about is putting in a faster time on my hooligan bike than he does on his Indian. So that's kind of my goal. <laughs> Yeah, we we so, were texting er, we were texting earlier in the week, Joe, and you said that you might have to get your license and uh, sign up in the in the AMT <laughs> Twins class and and put another old guy out there. We you know I was joking about Ronnie Jones. He's racing a Yamaha and he's like 57 or 58 years old. Larry Pegram is 46, so you'll be right in the middle of those. And I think all three of you can put it on the front row. No, exactly. Uh, it'd be fun, you know. But uh, I'm more I I you know I see a person a. I try not to look at a poster nowadays of a race coming up because everybody's like, oh, there's a $5,000 purse at this race. Well, that's the last reason that Joe Cop wants to go to a race nowadays. Sure, in the back of my mind, uh, the paycheck's nice, like I said, but it it has to be for the reason for me to go have fun on a bike. And uh, so if I keep that attitude, that's usually when the good results come in, you know. So I try to, try to keep thinking that way, but uh, – yeah, I won't be getting my license this weekend to race the AFT. I'll just have my own personal battle with with the guys out there and see if I can, you know, do a little digging and might be comparing numbers later on. I'm pretty sure my hooligan bike's not going to do what these guys are doing nowadays, but if we happen to stumble upon something and swap a transponder with somebody, that'd be great to <laughs> that'd be great to tweak some minds like with Jared or, oh, that'd be, or that'd Jared be awesome. or with Jared or Jared. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the number one rider you're talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. that's yeah. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. That so guy. which, uh, yeah, which super hooligan race are you most looking forward to this year in 2019? You know, a couple of years ago, I had fun, a lot of fun at this little shortcut Costa Mesa speedway. It's a little speedway bike track. Oh my gosh, they kind of over like overwatered that track, and it was just rip roaring. It was fun on a hooligan bike, and uh, so I'm probably looking forward to that one more than anything. I don't even remember when the date is, but uh, that's always. It seemed like that was a fun one when I went there last time. So Sturgis is gonna be fun, but I'd say Costa Mesa is gonna be a neat one. And right. Speedway guys, there's guys. They were out. I've never seen this at a flat track event before. This is how the Speedway guys do it. They're out there in between heats, like. Okay, the checkered flag flies. Here comes these guys out on the track. They got like four or five guys on each corner with brooms and rakes. And these guys are out there. If there's a little fluff and it got, I mean, these guys, I ain't kidding you. Every 
checkered flag, they crawl out on the track and they're like, you know, manicuring this track. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. That's awesome. At the same time, they got a little garden hose, they're throwing a little water on it. So yeah, Costa Mesa, if you guys are around for a hooligan race, come see us. Good fun. Perfect. What do you think of the Arizona Super TT? Oh, that was looked like a dream come true for what I would have liked to have ride back in the ridden back in the day. Just beautiful track. Put good racing on TV. I mean, I like to help support and promote the sport of dirt track in my years since racing full time. And uh, one way for myself to do it is really talk up events like that because I still talk to a lot of people whether dirt direct related or not. And uh, I mean that was. That, uh, that made me proud to be a dirt tracker, to see the event that AFT put on there. And, you know, I know it was probably a super huge task, you know, manicuring, taking care of that whole track. And, man, it just looked great. Sure, there was a few crashes, but it was just because, I feel, because they were throwing something new at all these riders. And it seemed like the ones that were crashing were some of the younger ones. And uh, there were some sounds and parts of that track. But, man, it looked, that looked awesome. I've... I, I wish they would do more of those, you know, multi, multi right hand, left hand turn TT tracks like that because that that was a great show. It looked like to me, fast too, fast pace and close racing. And so my dad called it like a road a road course on dirt with some rollers on it, and he 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 picked JD Beach to win it when he went out and looked at the track yeah. the very first time, and sure enough, JD won it on the Yamaha. So that was pretty cool. And you you talked yeah. about some younger riders and and less experienced riders. That brings up the next generation cop. Cody Cop is the next up and comer. A lot of people have been talking about. How old is he now, and when's he going pro? Well, Cody's fourteen now. He doesn't turn his birthday in November, so he's fifteen the end of this year, and you know, so it'll be. He's got a couple more summers under him of racing before he can, you know, get that pro license if mom and dad decide to let him out of the house, but. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, Joe Cobb, he's got a son. He wanted his son to go racing, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's fed the silver spoon, whatever, you know, the, think it, the thought is. But, uh, and honestly, I, I don't know how many times in my career people ask me when they would see my little three-year-old son walking around the pits, oh, is he going to be racing? I'm like, heck, no, he's not. And it's not because I didn't like dirt track. It was because of the fact that I knew all the risks I took out there on the track. and. I just I didn't want to see my son obviously take them risks, you know, for a paycheck. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would love to have my children, whether my daughter or son, whatever, compete at whatever they want to compete at. But I don't want to see them push the limits of safety, I guess, for a paycheck. You know, that's kind of the hard thing. I'd rather see them be a bass fisherman or a whatever it might be, you know. But so yeah, Cody, he's 14 now, and he's you know been riding a bike since he was three or four and racing pretty much since then at the same and just he's been learning he's obviously been watching i got a i got a ton of bad habits on a bike that i kind of pick myself apart on and darn if he doesn't seem to do all them same bad habits in my mind you know it's like everybody's always like oh he looks just like you on a bike i'm like i know but i wish he didn't you know (laughs) but at the same time he's 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 a quick little kid on the track and uh trying to make it fun for him, you know, kind of trying to bring him up the same way I did. He's obviously got a competitive spirit in him, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it away just like I'd be bummed if my mom and dad would have taken it away from me. So I'm not going to take it away from him. We're just going to 
try to point him in the safest, you know, direction that we can and make sure he uses his head all the time and, you know, ride smart, which he seems to do. So, yeah, it's pretty neat helping him out and seeing where that goes. I don't know, Dad. There's a lot of question marks in the back of Mom and Dad's minds right now wondering what's happening, you know. Right, right. He's definitely flying. Like last weekend, we went down to Willow Springs, Scotty, and uh, here it is. There's a couple fast kids from California that he battles with at Amateur Nationals, and they race Willow Springs each year, and they race Paris each weekend, you know, every time they have races. And they're, they're definitely physically bigger kids than Cody. They're about the same age as him, but they're just – they're way bigger kids, like 160 pounds compared to 100 pounds of Cody, you know, and uh, – and they're great kids, but when you're that big, yeah, you definitely, you know, you can muscle something around a little bit more. And uh, seeing going going down to Willow, I'm like, well, this is going to be a great place because I'm all about throwing challenges at him, just like I always try to throw it myself. And Willow's going to be a challenge. Hey, we're not here to win, and I preached that to him beforehand. Uh, we're not here to win, and you know, it's all about learn, 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 dude. You're only 14, you know, and. Uh, Man, he goes down there and he just drops the handle and he's almost like Kevin Atherton style up by the hay bales, grabbing handfuls. I'm like, holy more and like and he was super smooth at the same time. It's not like he was out of control, but he was just pushing the limits way more than I felt my fourteen year old knew how to do, you know. And it was just it was I bet man, six days ago it was an eye opener for dad all of a sudden kind of realizing like, wow. This is, I think I know where this is going, and I don't know if I like it, you know? Right. uh, We're not going to take it away. It's just let kids chase their dreams, trying to let our daughter daughter chase her dreams on the horses and son on the bikes. You only live once, man. Enjoy it. And and I like that you're not, you didn't force him to ride a motorcycle. You didn't force him to race motorcycles. You let him choose to do that. And that's the same thing my parents did. And I think that's the best way to do it. And, you know, if the kid wants to go racing motorcycles, that's fine. If he wants to ride skateboard, that's fine too. And I love that you did that with your kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, sports, as we all know nowadays, I don't care if your kids in third grade and football at tackling or at flag football. It's crazy the intenseness of sporting events nowadays. You know, it's like if you want to be a football player, man, you better be playing football twelve months out of the year down there. And basketball, same way. Well, motorcycle mm-hmm. racing never used to be like that. And neither did all these other sports, but motorcycle racing has kind of followed that suit. And I, so I see a lot of Cody's competitors darn near racing 12 months out of the year in a flat track discipline or something, you know? And so I, I just try to like make it fun for him. We do a lot of different events. Like we do woods racing, we do, you know, ice riding, we do uh, whatever, some asphalt stuff and just, you know, try to keep him well-rounded. So he doesn't like think all he has to do is race around a circle or something. So uh, I just don't want to, I want to see him enjoy it as a sport, you know, and not feel like he has to do it. Does, does he have a nickname yet? He does. So yeah, my, my uncle kind of gave it to him the first morning he was born. He was born at 454 in the morning, which 454 is a big Chevy. Big block. Hot rod motor, big block. And so uh, my Uncle called him Hot Rod right away. Hot Rod, uh, huh? Hot Rod. There's Hot Rod. <laughs> that's his, uh, that's All right. His little nickname on his little logo he's got. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. I didn't know that. Doesn't really float. 
Yeah, it doesn't really flow with his name too much, but yeah, hot rod. That's it. Him, he'll make it work. There was another hot rod that was really fast, Rodney Ferris. That's the, exactly. I remember. Exactly. He people calling him a hot rod, and he he was fast too. So I also saw he posted yeah. something, you know, a couple of weeks ago, with uh like the bottom of the the top of his leathers. I guess if that makes sense, right across his belly, it had Estenson Racing. So what's that all about? Tim Estenson and I we've uh, chatted a lot over the last few years, and he's been helping Cody for. I think this is his third season now, and it's just he's kind of ramping up the program. Uh, Tim obviously has a really big effort in flat track right now, and with singles and twins riders, and so he's trying to help bring you know the next generation of kids up, just like with Dallas Daniels right now. You know he's grooming him for success down the road, and so he's offered to help Cody. So yeah team Essenson, latest motors i mean those are our two main sponsors george latest latest motors uh without these guys you know you really can't do it at the level that needs to be done i guess if you're gonna really go after it so it's pretty neat to be involved with tim and george and everybody and uh, just try to keep everybody humble and realize we're all here to have fun on two wheels you know and just see what happens it's not all about the win it's just if if you make it about the win that's kind of when the fun goes away and i think george and tim both realize this i've been with a lot of sponsors previous sponsors in the past and uh, the more you have fun on a bike and the more you have fun with the program and everything the more success you're going to have so we try to weed out the good and weed out the bad or weed in the bad i guess and the, you know have fun with it more than anything and tim and george are both like that so i think they're going to be a part of cody's program for a long time to come dude that's awesome to have those people behind you i mean when you're enjoying riding and, and racing you know it make it makes it so much more fun and, and it's it's important for the kid and and for you too so how gratifying is it for you to see him win is it can you relate that to you know when you won a national is it is it more gratifying to watch him win big races like willow springs it's way more gratifying. I mean, even at this amateur level right now, I know the seriousness is going to you know, start stepping up more and more. And I've seen it the last couple of years with moving from 85 to a 250 at all of a sudden. A little bit of the fun went away, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's super gratifying. It's just I, – I guess I've, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of racing dads, racing parents around the tracks. And, and I teach a lot of schools over the last – many years and so i really preach not to be that person you know it's just uh i'm a big kid person i love kids and uh, i love to help them whether it's my son i'm not i'm not afraid to help my my competitor or my son's competitor or whoever you know it's it's got to be about having fun and promoting our sport of motorcycle riding really and uh, so yeah to see cody have some success here and there it's just uh just makes my day big time you know it's just a pretty neat deal for sure right on pretty what, emotional what is, yeah yeah i'm sure i can't even imagine that i mean uh you know i my daughter is not interested in motorcycles at all and i'm fine with that but you know when she was doing dance yeah. or or tap or anything like that you know as long as she's up there smiling and having fun it made it all worthwhile to me yeah no exactly it just it's fun. Well, like I say, we live out in a little farming community out here in Washington. And it's a small school, you know. There's not. It's a really small school, and uh, 
we've done a lot of sporting events over the years, and it's just so many times you see this too too much seriousness from a a group of parents or a parent, whatever, and it's just like, man, sometimes they get in your face a little bit because you're not as serious as what they want to be, and here we are trying to grab flags from flag football, you know, and when your kid missed that, well, he's seven years old, you know, it's like, like, man, if, if you want to get serious, we're ready to get serious. We'll we'll learn how to grab flags. <laughs> you know, it's just that seriousness. Seriousness of we really don't want to go there. But if you make it me, hey, we're good. Let's go. <laughs> so I right? got you. Yeah, exactly. So what advice would you give some any parents struggling to get their kids involved in our sport and thinking about getting their, their kids involved in motorcycle racing? What's what's one good word of advice from Joe Cop? I'd say that the biggest thing is practice, practice, you know, seat time, seat time. Uh, what I see so often, and it's kind of hard to, you know, judge equally with everybody because some people just don't have the opportunity. But it's like looking at a math test at school. Hey, if you haven't studied for this math test, like by studying the week leading up to your test, whatever, the couple of days leading up, then don't expect to do good on your test. If if you're going to send your kids to the motorcycle races and they haven't got the practice and you're going to jump their butt because they didn't do good at the race, well, you didn't give them the opportunity to practice or ride a, not necessarily practice, but just ride a bike seat time. That's that's what Cody and I work on big time. Is I don't care if you're in the middle of the snowstorm or whatever, dig out that mini bike, you got that 50 Honda and burn some 20-foot laps in the shop. You know, I mean, It's all about just ride, ride, ride. And, if you don't do the homework, don't expect to have the, you know, the results you want maybe on race day. So biggest thing I can tell the parents is, you know, get them on a bike, just let them ride. It's not about race day. Race day is the easy part, really. It's testing and practicing stuff like that. That's the hard stuff. But at the same time, the kids kind of look at that part as the fun stuff, you know, and they think the race is the, the hard part, but in all reality, race is kind of the easy part if you've done the, the homework up to that point. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, the homework. homework. Yeah, but Dude, do your homework. Don't, yeah, yeah do your homework. Have fun. Exactly. So I got a couple more questions for you. So back at the end of 2016, you actually got to ride the the FTR 750 Indian. Tell me about that day. You were fast right off the box, fast timed. I think you won the dash for cash and. And I think if you want to ran over your tongue, you might have won that main event. So tell me about that day yeah. and how cool it was to ride that Indian. Uh, that was a really special opportunity all summer long. You know, I had been talking with Gary at Indian, you know, the winter before. I knew they were building this bike, and I was kind of throwing my two cents in there, trying to help with development. Not saying they listened at all, because I know Kenny and Jared were pretty heavily, in, Ken Gilbert and Jared were pretty heavily involved with it, but. So, yeah, I was staying in pretty good communication with them, and uh, I always said, hey, if you guys ever want somebody to throw a leg over, I'd be happy to, whether it's testing or racing or whatever. And So he finally approached me about doing some testing, so I got to do a few tests, you know, towards the end of the year, and then it came to the point where, like, hey, we need a ride. And I'm like, I, I still hadn't really been training for, you know, testing. I was just kind of showing up, and I was sweating like a pig at every one of the tests, and I was – running over my tongue, like you said. And then, but then when he asked me to, uh, you know, race Santa Rosa, it's like, okay, come on, let's do this. So 
uh, I want to go there and run with my buddies, not not run behind them. And uh, I was a lucky individual to get to spin some laps on it. Not that I wanted a rough mile, probably as an older guy, but I, I always liked cushion tracks as well. And it was it was a special day. I took took my wife and my kids down there, and not that I was going for the win, but I was going for fun totally back then. And uh, the way it played out, qualifying, uh, you know, I got a, I think we were second or third the first session, and here I was like the fifth group or something in practice, you know. So the track was just gnarly rough, and I came back with a really good lap time i'm like oh that's that's the way to start the day and it just kind of got me going you know and then we won the dash for cash and the indian guys were kind of like hey we're happy you know that everything has been kind of exceeded their expectations so far of the whole day and not that they said that hey we're good park it now but they kind of i kind of had that feeling like hey we're super happy with everything that happened by now you can almost park it you know sort of feeling right but i saw the main event to come and then i I get a good start, get out front there, and next thing I know, Brad and Brian blow Miami up on the cushion, up, you know, bouncing off the hay bales, and I was just like, I'd already seen a few bad crashes that day, you know, and had my wife and kids there, and it just kind of, you know, time to time for Joe Cobb to back off the throttle a little bit and come home in one piece, you know, it's not about the win here, and the, I knew Indian was happy. Well, then. I think I dropped back to like 11th or 12th that day in the main event. And I was like, gosh, darn it. I think Kenny was the last, cool was the last one that went by me. And I was like, man, I can't, I'm trying to help Indian with their reputation and everything. They got going, you know, marketing wise. And so I was like, oh, I don't want people to think that the bike's breaking, you know, and I definitely don't want people to think that Joe cop got tired. <laughs> so I dug, <laughs> dug deep and I'm like, well, Kenny cool the last guy I'm going to let beat me here today. Just cause I don't know what Kenny and I are, great buddies but it was just he was kind of the old man of the of the scene you know at that time so i was like oh i can't let the old man beat me the old man <laughs> so then i got past him and then next thing i know i chased down a few more i got back up to seventh and uh you know it just it was like a fairy tale day it really was it was just good fun right on pretty lucky is, individual i was that day yeah you, man you're an awesome individual so is there anything left on joe cop's bucket list there isn't. I mean, never. I don't think I've ever had bucket list. I just look for the new challenge. I guess you know that one. A couple of years ago, I got to do the opening ceremonies there at Sacramento on uh, Kenny Roberts TZ 750. You know. Yep. And that was like, that was way past my bucket. I mean, it was one of them things that was never on my bucket list because it's not. But I always dreamed about what that bike was like. Right. It's like, oh man, I got a scary, crazy, wicked fast bike that Kenny Roberts rode and won and got outlawed. Blah blah blah. So it was never on my bucket list, but when AMA called me at that, I'm like, oh, man, super cool. Got to go out there and spend some laps on that and just, wow, I couldn't believe it. But I, I honestly don't think I had a bucket list or still don't have a bucket list. It's just have fun on a motorcycle or anything that somebody wants to race down the trail or something, you know. Right on. No bucket list. That's all right. I like it. I like it. Hey, uh, why does my daughter call you Rubber Ducky? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that is. Something about, we used to have these old things in vehicles back in the day called CBs and stuff, you know, and uh-huh. now nowadays nowadays they got this all Wi-Fi, whatever, telephones, cell phones. There's a little rubber ducky, something going down on the CB radio that day when we were, I think we were going on a place, Stockton, Kansas, or something like that, I don't know. Do you remember yeah, those I, days? 
Yeah, I remember those days. I think I think we're sitting in line to get in the Indy Mile, and some truck driver was talking smack. Was? Yeah, some truck oh. driver was tra- talking smack, and you told him you'd meet him in line. And I think you gave him Dan Stanley's uh, number ten <laughs> on the truck, and and <laughs> exactly. said you were like third in line or something like that. And you said my 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 That's CB handle was ru- my CB handle is rubber ducky. I didn't. I don't want to bring up that fact because I didn't want to throw names out there. But oh, Danny, he's safe now. He's harmless i think nowadays but but yeah it was kind of involving danny and i was kind of talking some smack and luckily neither one of us got to meet that trucker that day because he sounded pretty mad yeah i don't i don't even remember what started the whole conversation but he got pretty irate pretty heated pretty quick and you just kept going my name's rubber ducky and i got a, i got a big tin on the side of my truck i'll see you in the pits <laughs> yeah i don't even know if danny ever knew that story luckily <laughs> Probably not. Probably yeah, not. So, yeah. so we're almost at the end of the episode. So it's time for Graham's question. And Graham is a huge, huge Joe Cop fan. I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the 43 and then the three because she loved Ricky Graham. And and she said, "What are your plans after you're done Super Hooligan racing? What are you What are you gonna do? How are you gonna relax?" Well, find the next. I, I'd say find the next thing that's new and challenging for me to still push my limits. Maybe, maybe it's vintage racing on flat track. Maybe it's I do a little bit of vintage motocross nowadays, but uh, just once or twice a year, and I really enjoy that. So I'm kind of having fun racing some vintage bikes, and maybe we'll do something like that. But honestly, there's there's nothing on my checklist that I'm aiming for right now. It's just trying to be a family man and be with my wife and kids and see where that takes us takes us we just got a we got a kid racing motorcycles we just got a brand new really nice horse for my daughter and man we're just chasing our tails going everywhere right now trying to keep you're up the with fir- the kids you're the first person i ever heard say they're gonna race motocross to relax so i don't know if that equal uh, you know are those, is that the same thing yeah yeah it is okay. it's just it depends on how you look at it and i'm there All to right. have fun so it's relaxing for me. There you go. All right. Well, it's time for our rapid fire questions. So first thing that pops into mind when I ask these next few questions, are you ready? I'm ready. When are you scheduled to test the brand new KTM twin? Two months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's, what's your favorite There's motorcycle? There's a ever... behind that. Oh, there is. Yeah, we'll bring that up later. Next time. Okay. Uh, next interview. Okay, sounds good. That means you're going to have to come back on. So, uh, what's your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Harley Davidson XR750. Hey, man. What's your favorite racetrack? Uh, to say Hagerstown, Maryland. Okay. What's your favorite trophy? Greenville, Ohio. Uh, the day that Jared had the lead, we had the five lap restart, and he. Didn't get a very good start, and I whole shot at it and won the five lap dash. <laughs> Dude, Took the, the trof- gun from Zerg. Yeah, the trophies from Greenville are amazing. I saw a few of them on your wall. It's an Annie Oakley shootout, is what they called the race, and it's actually a, a shotgun. If I am, if I'm gonna, am I right? It's a muzzle loader, old it's rifle muzz- muzzle loader. There you go. Yeah. And how many you got? Four. You have three of those. I got three. Coolbeth uh, got one of them. I got three out of the four Wednesday. All right. So, yeah, it was kind of one of my. It was hard to say a favorite track. Lima, Greenville, Hagerstown. One of them three is favorites for sure. Of course, you got multiple wins there. I, I, I'm right there with you. So, uh, yeah. Joe Cop, what are you most proud of? Most proud of just 
uh, trying to treat people the way that I want to be treated, you know, just being a good person overall. It's not about, I mean, sure, I want to win. I'm very competitive, but just being a good person and being fan friendly, whether it's with the fans or family or whoever, you know, friends, just be a good person is what I want to be remembered by. Right on. So we're at the very end of the episode. Do you want to say thanks to anybody? Yeah, I've got a lot of sponsors over the years. You know, everybody's helped. So many people have helped me out a bunch. George Latus, Latus Motors, and he's been a huge supporter. Daryl Jones, Jones Power Sports in Missouri. They were like mom and dad to me. These leathers back in Ohio, mom and dad to me as well. Just When you're from Micah, Washington, it's pretty hard to just make the transition and start racing everywhere back in the Midwest. And uh, those people like these and Jones, they, they really made it happen for me. Bob Lanfear, Dave Burks, you know, helped get me a number one plate. Uh, gosh, there's just so many people involved, all the industry people, Weisco, Saddleman, you know, Super Trap, all those people over the years just continue to help, you know, either myself or my son and just, I've always said it's kind of like a girlfriend. You don't want to burn bridges because you might have to kiss her again someday. And uh, <laughs> I just, I've really, <laughs> I've really made it a point not to burn bridges with friends, family, uh, with sponsors, anybody. And uh, it's paid off huge because I see it coming full circle now with, you know, people helping out my kids. And then so it's pretty cool. And probably the biggest thing, my wife, you know, I mean, just, Gosh, we we got married the year I won the championship. Right before I won the championship, uh, all that before Daytona that year, and uh, we went out, and won the championship, and she gave up a lot in life. She gave up a career, and uh, you know, just went on the road with me, and we grew up about a mile apart from each other, and so yeah, she's she's given up a lot in life, and I'm trying to give back to her and my kids right now with everything they were so nice to bless me with, you know, as far as giving me my, my support. So thanks to everybody out there. I appreciate it. So usually I get teared up at moments like this. Luckily I'm not face to face. I'm not teared up, but All right. I'm, a, I'm a softie at heart. I'm a softie at heart, but, uh, thanks to, thanks to anybody and everybody that, uh, supported Joe Cop over the years. And I'm not going nowhere. I'll be around for a long time, even John, though I'm halfway to dead. <laughs> halfway to dead. Tomorrow is your 50th <laughs> birthday. Good luck at Paris. And thank you so much for your time. I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I really appreciate you making time for us tonight. Hey, you bet. And uh, thanks again, Scotty. I knew it was going to be great. And guess what it was? Even better? Even better than great. I really liked that episode. It was fun. I, you know, I, I have a lot of admiration. He tries everything. If there's a challenge in front of him, if it falls two wheels, he's going to do it. And I like that. This guy seems to have ridden just about everything on two wheels, too, like done all kinds of racing. I love to hear folks that come on that have raced several disciplines, not just, you know, flat track and moto, but to hear what he's done on the hill climb side. He seems like he's the, the kind of guy who just loves, like he's, I mean, he, I think he even said it at one point, taking a machine and, and pushing it to its limits. Um, and that's, that's really cool to hear somebody talk about motorcycle racing in that way. Yeah, I like it because, you know, he said he's taking a motorcycle that's not built for a certain purpose and making it do that. So I like that. I mean, it's challenging for him. It's challenging for that motorcycle. And, and you know, kind of remind me of Ryan Sipes a little bit, you know, not afraid to do anything on a motorcycle. Who's doing a lot of crazy shit. Where's he at now? Did you see that? Yeah, he, yeah he's all over the place. He's been doing a lot of different things. And 
yesterday. I saw he's out there running on the beach after he rode up and down this mountain that was just full of rocks. Well, I don't know. Like that's what I was saying. You, I'd be scared to drive my Jeep on that shit. Yeah, and he's, he's riding, riding it up two, on two wheels. Yeah, yeah, like the balls on this dude. It's crazy. <laughs> he's a he's a rider, that's for sure. Um, so you're you're in Paris. What are you getting into tonight? Not Paris, France. No, I know that. Okay, all right, just make I thought sure, we were. I don't, really, have, a, I don't really, have a beret. Really thought we were gonna make it through this episode without without that joke. Huh? Nope. I'm kidding. So tonight is the Paris short track. And yeah. They've got some big money up for grabs for a framer class, which you you know you ride your road tax, you ride your 450 in a framer. They also got a big 450 singles uh, purse, and man, it's a cool little track. Like Joe Cop was mentioning about Costa Mesa, how they turn it up and it's loose dirt. That's what start you know this this track starts out like that and it kind of grooves up a little bit but you can see some really cool stuff some really you know deep sliding into the corners and it's a fun track I'm gonna meet Graham out there here in just a little bit and uh, hopefully see some good racing and then tomorrow is the Paris half mile that's badass man whole weekend of racing and it's not gonna stop for a while you got a few back to back to back to back to back right yeah my calendar is full I think I just booked a few more shows this week so I'm about. 13 or 14 weekends without a break so it's gonna be crazy that's awesome um are you are you ready for a flat track fact flat track fact that sounds like it could be like a weekly thing i like that it could it could be did well you this just one's name, mine wait, hold, on, try- hold on did you just name that did you just come up with that name or is that something you've been thinking about doing here i think we've been thinking about it both together i'm not gonna take all the credit i, I think i'll give you the credit but that. flat track fact i like it I want to get Bert Sumner involved because he's got all the facts. He's got all the stats. And yeah. I'd like to get him involved in our flat track fact. But this one is mine. And you know I'm a numbers guy. So far we've had four rounds. And in the AFT Twins class, 12 riders have made every main event. Really? In the singles class, again, four rounds, only six riders have made every main event. What? Six. Really? That's interesting, right? See that I I got gotcha. you. No, that's interesting. Like, and that's something that people probably don't think about like that. And what? How does that usually work out then? Towards the end of the year, how many people is it? Like single, like one or two? Lately in the twins, it's been about eight or ten. Yeah. In the singles class, it's been up there too. But now, remember, only sixteen riders make the main event, so it's even harder. So uh, I'm gonna keep an eye on that as the season progresses. I like keeping track of my stats and my notes and. You know, I've got a pretty big binder that goes with me to all the races, and you know I don't keep it all between my ears. I keep some of it in in a book. You uh, you definitely have a lot of notes. I uh, I actually was watching you in Daytona. It's insane. It's a binder that's like an encyclopedia. Um, and yeah. you know who has more notes than you is Bart Sumner. So if you Bart guys Sumner. if if you guys could work together on a flat track fact every week, that'd be pretty badass. Would you see it being like stuff current all the time, or is it like historic facts? What is, you don't know. He- He's got everything from from when they started keeping records. He knows who's won which race. He knows, you know, he's got everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I I love to pick his brain sometime. Hopefully we can have Vaughn. He's got a big race coming up May 31st. It's the Dairyland Classic. Yeah. Up in uh, Wisconsin. It's the night before the Lexington Red Mile. Okay. So some riders will make the trip, and uh, it's a non-national, but it's got a big purse, and he's got a huge following. Uh, that's coming up here pretty soon, May the 31st. Well, I look forward to more flat track facts and uh, maybe a conversation or interview with Bert Sumner here in the near future then. Just want to point out, it's his 35th annual Dairyland Classic. 3-5, the big 3-5 up in Wisconsin. I like cheese. I like cheese curds. Cheese curds are the shit. Mm-hmm. They squeaky in your mouth. On that note, <laughs> I'm going racing. 
Hey, Carter. Hey, Scotty. Smash that like button. Tell your friends. Give us a follow. Shoot us a note, man. If you want to hear somebody on our uh, podcast, let us know who you want to hear, and uh, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. Sounds good. Because we do this for you. We do this for the fans. You want to do this again next week? Let's do it next Friday. I'll be here. I'll be here. Will you be here? I hope so. I'm done. See you later. I'm going racing. I'm going watching. Have a good weekend. Thanks, buddy. You too.